on today's show, the Atlanta Hawks go into Salt Lake City and win in pretty impressive fashion, nearly wire to wire with a nice win over the Utah Jazz on the road. The Hawks are now two and one on a road trip. And candidly, it was a pretty impressive performance on both ends of the floor in this game. Headlined by DeAndre Hunter. We'll get into all of what transpired and more coming up. You are locked on Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1404 of the Lothan Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you deep in the night here on a Friday evening into Saturday. And today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. If you find the most qualified candidates that you want to talk to, they help you do it faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NBA. And also encourage you, as always, to make us your first listen here at Lothan Hawks each and every day. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and also on the video side over on YouTube. Today's show, we'll be getting into what became a very nice win for the Hawks on the road, 115-108 to in Salt Lake City over the Utah Jazz. Back-to-back wins for the Hawks over the last three days, and their first win in Salt Lake City since 2018. That's a, that's a long time, almost five years between wins for Atlanta out in Utah, and they're back above 500 again, 27-26. and A great result to the trip, actually, at least starting off with the first three games, going 2-1. and one. As I said before the trip even started, I think if the Hawks had gone two and three overall on this trip, it would have been a reasonable performance in a lot of ways, given the difficulty of this trip. That could still happen, of course, but to start out two and one and do so in pretty impressive fashion in the last three days and two wins is uh, very, very nice. The Hawks were up by 22 points in this game in the first half. It wasn't all pretty from there necessarily. It got way too interesting for the Hawks' favor, I'm sure, down the stretch, but they were able to kind of hold on, hold serve. They were never trailing. They were basically leading the entire way, and they were up by eight points for the vast majority, at least eight points or more, I should say, for the vast majority of this game, and uh, they escaped with the win. So as we have been recently and will continue to do moving forward, my uh, my takeaways from today's game are basically going to come at the top here. And number one is the Hawks were just really good on both of the floor, and that's pretty – uh, obvious in some ways when you go out and win on the road. I can go through all the numbers and I definitely will on this podcast, but it was a two-way effort from Atlanta and against a, against a Jazz team that is not a two-way team. We'll get into that as well in more depth, but Utah is definitely uh, elite in one one area on offense and very not elite on the other end of the floor on defense. The Hawks did, did their job on both, both ends of the floor in this game, and that was really, really encouraging. We'll start on offense where Atlanta did a fantastic job, I thought, especially in the first half of this game, attacking Utah's weaknesses, particularly uh, just basically attacking the rim, getting past their perimeter uh, resistance. They shot almost 6% from two-point range in the game. At 56 points in the paint in this game as well. 36 of those 36 points in the paint happened in the first half where they were really, really good. Uh, Utah, again, is a pretty bad defensive team. They're in the bottom five of the league in efficiency, and that particularly is the case on the perimeter. They do have Walker Kessler, who is a budding star in terms of a defensive player at center for Utah, but he is only a guy, number one, only one player. He had some foul trouble in this game, and uh, the rest of their defense, other than like maybe Jared Vanderbilt, they have a lot of beloved defenders on this team. And that allowed the Hawks to be aggressive and breaking contain on the perimeter, getting into the paint, finding the creases, and taking advantage of that. Also, I thought the Hawks, notably, were intentional in pushing the pace in the first half of this game. Even after the Jazz were making some shots, the Hawks still got the ball out of the rim and down the floor quickly to not allow Utah to set up their defense. And that point of uh, kind of push was very effective, I thought, early in this game. And uh, that kind of made it easier on them as the game went along. They did settle a little bit more in the second half. I will say that. 
And that is maybe part of the reason why this game got a little bit closer than you might have thought um, after the first half performance. But I thought the Hawks in particular in the first half offensively were very, very good. And they ended up with a 117 offensive rating in the game. That isn't like a crazy number, but it's very solid no matter what, especially when you're talking about a road game. And beyond that, the Hawks were 10 of 37 from three in this game. That is not good. Uh, That is well below uh, where you would like to be on that kind of volume. That's actually pretty encouraging volume, I thought. And at least by my uh, by my standards in this game. But the Hawks didn't shoot well from three, and they were able to still score at an above-average level, and that means they were pretty good basically everywhere everywhere else in this game. Only nine turnovers for Atlanta. And, of course, the Hawks are kind of one of their bread-and-butter items as a profile is not turning the ball over, and that was the case in this game. Nine is an excellent figure. If the league leader is like 11 or 12, basically the Hawks are in that same range, and having nine in a game that was reasonably fast-paced at times was pretty impressive. They did more damage on the glass in the first half and the second half. It was more just like an average game on the glass for Atlanta on offense, but they had some second-chance opportunities that was effective for them, and they were able to shoot well inside the arc, which made things easier on the whole. We'll get into it more a little bit later on in the podcast as well, but it was a season high for DeAndre Hunter with 26 points in this game, uh, capped by the dagger shot at the very, very end of the game. And 16 points in the second half of this one. He was the recipient of the Hawks' uh, kind of coveted chain award for the offensive defensive player of the game. He won both of those on the same night, and that was cool with me. He played very well in this game. I also thought Anyaka Kong was really good in this one off the bench. Uh, a lot of guys played well in this game. I thought the two of them in particular, and especially Hunter, were real standouts and one of the reasons why the Hawks were able to win this game on the road. Uh, defensively, again, this is worth noting, while Utah is bad on off, uh, sorry, bad, bad on defense, they are very good on offense this season. And it's a little bit weird because you wouldn't think by their personnel, if you're just more of a casual observer, that you would think they would be a great offensive team. And I'm pretty skeptical about the Jazz overall team quality. Their roster is kind of strangely built. They're probably going to sell some guys in the future, but they run really good stuff on offense. They take a bunch of threes, and they have a bunch of quality offensive players across the board. They have a lot of shooting on the roster, basically. they play Even when they play big, um, their big guys, other than Jared Vanderbilt, are really solid shooters. Even Kessler can kind of shoot a little bit, but Lori Markkinen, Kelly, Kelly Olenek can shoot a little bit. Um, you know, obviously, obviously Clark's on the perimeter, Mike Conley, et cetera. Um, they came in the night shooting 37% from three on the season. And there was a little bit of help, I will say, from Utah in this game for the Hawks. And the Jazz were 13 of 44 from three. So if that was a little bit more normalized for Utah, this game would have been a lot more interesting in a lot of ways. But the Hawks did benefit from some missed, some missed good looks from Utah. That's going to happen. Of course, the Hawks didn't shoot well either. So it was like the Hawks had this great shooting night. They didn't. Um, but the Hawks were, I thought, generally solid at contesting shots throughout this game. They did a good job on Markkinen, who's been the best player for Utah, is going to be going to the All-Star game. I thought the Hawks contained him pretty well in this game, largely with Hunter and Collins at times, um, maybe a little bit of, uh, of the bench guys as well. But they forced turnovers at a higher level than the Jazz did. 15-9 to 9 turnover rate, uh, sorry, turnover ratio in this game. That's a very, very good success level for Atlanta, being plus six in that turnover margin. And then on the glass, they were fine. And they won the possession battle overall. And that's a big thing. You know, they didn't, they didn't dominate it. But they took four more shots from the field than Utah did and, and five more free throw attempts. So if that's all you know, that's already a good advantage. And the Hawks outshot the Jazz inside the arc. And that was kind of the differentiator in this game where neither team can actually make a shot throughout the game. But overall, it was just really nice for the Hawks to get a road win in particular. But And they weren't perfect. Like Phoenix game, as I talked about a lot on that show, by the way, that's still relevant on the podcast feed. And I had a bonus episode later in the day on uh, on Thursday talking about the, uh, about the deadline and all that fun stuff. So it's been a very busy week on the podcast, and I'm very tired. But um, 
I discussed it on, on the jet on the Sun show. That was kind of an outlier game. The Hawks shot the heck out of the ball against Phoenix. Phoenix was awful on both ends of the floor in that game. The Hawks dominated it, and credit to them. This is more of a normal game, quote unquote, and that the Hawks were just the better team on this night. They outplayed the Jazz. They didn't shoot crazy. Um, Utah didn't either, of course, but the Hawks were just the better team, and they they are they are the more talented team. They have a better roster, in my in my opinion, than the Jazz do. But going on the road and take care of business like that is a very encouraging sign. You never want to get too high. I would encourage that, you know, early in the season, really most of the season, I've been trying to tell Hawks fans not to jump off the, uh, off the cliff because there's been a lot of frustration, a lot of negativity, I think, swirling around the fan base at times because, look, the Hawks were supposed to be better than this. And I, I say the same thing all the time, even now. But at the same time, I've, I'm not seeing people go probably a little bit too far the other way in some respects where it's like, all right, now everything's fixed. It's going to be awesome now. And maybe it is. The Hawks have been playing really well. The last two games, you could argue this is maybe their best two-game stretch of the season overall. I wouldn't probably go there like clear-cut, but certainly in the mix for their best two-game stretch. And I thought that the six quarters between the four quarters and Phoenix in the first half tonight were uh, certainly their best game and a half of the season. So um, a lot of good signs. But, uh, yeah, it's just take, take, take it as that I'll say. It's positive for sure. The Hawks are healthy, knock on wood. And when they are healthy – their depth concerns are a little bit less important. The Hawks' biggest glaring weakness on this, on this roster this year is their depth. And when everybody's healthy, which you can't bank on, but when it happens, it, they're a lot better team. They have, a, they have a quality nine-guy rotation right now. It's been pretty effective, and that's been the case moving forward. So uh, circle this one, but we'll have more on it in a second about how this game actually transpired. But broadly speaking, the Hawks played well both ends of the floor. It was an impressive win. It's one that you definitely want to uh, mark down as a positive result, even just beyond the wins and losses, just an encouraging performance on the whole. And we'll get into all of it and more coming up on the podcast. But first, before we dive into the game flow in this one, as well as my individual player breakdowns later on in the show, we're from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. As a small business owner or hiring manager, you know the success of 2023 all depends on the team members that you surround yourself with, and that is why I've checked out LinkedIn Jobs right now. LinkedIn Jobs can help you hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people that have the skills, the values, and the experiences to help you achieve your goals this year. I've used LinkedIn Jobs many times in the past. It's proven to be an awesome resource for me, and it really makes the entire hiring process easy and painless. They help you to attract qualified candidates to your open job with targeting tools, and they make it easy to screen applicants based on your job qualifications all in one platform. They go beyond the resume data by using insights from your job post, your company, and their millions of member profiles. Put your post in front of as many people as possible and the most qualified candidates as well while doing it quickly and for free. Having people around you that you trust and that the right people around you really is uh, important in meeting those goals that you have this year. So check out LinkedIn Jobs and fulfill all of your goals this time around. And small businesses are at LinkedIn Jobs, number one. Yes, number one, delivering quality hires, including competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the most qualified candidates that you want to talk to and help you to do it faster. Post your job for free. Yes, for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnMBA. One more time, that is LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnMBA. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so we'll dive in now to the way this game actually flowed. And coming into the night, Utah was 7-3 in their last 10 games. They had this weird run this year where the Jazz started out very hot and they were just shocking me and everybody else playing really well. Then they went into the tank for a, a, long, a long period of time and now they've been playing pretty well again. So I'm not sure what to make of that, but they've been playing well recently. Uh, notably, this is a very clean injury report on both sides. The Hawks were healthy, the Jazz were healthy, and it kind of tells you that uh, our friends at FanDuel made the Hawks a point and a half underdog in this game. Now, obviously, that's just basically talking about the home court advantage in Salt Lake City, which makes sense. But they kind of viewed the Hawks as maybe slightly better on a neutral court. Maybe it's like a two point spread, something like that, uh, based on home court advantage. 
So, but it's basically a coin flip in a lot of ways. So that was not a huge surprise. Kind of the same line as it was in Phoenix, similar to the line in Portland. Uh, the Hawks basically, in my mind, are the better team against all three of these opponents. It just happens to be on the road, which is a good differentiator. But the Hawks overcame that in this spot. Both teams started out cold in this game. They were 2 of 11 on the floor combined in the first three minutes. But the Hawks found it first, and the process was really good early on. As I talked about earlier, Atlanta was decisive and aggressive in the early going. They went up 14 to 3. And from that point forward, the Hawks never trailed again. In fact, they were up by eight points or more for like 35 straight minutes. It was a pretty, it was a pretty crazy number along the way. They had 10 of the first 14 points in the paint. Utah opened the night by missing eight of their first nine shots. They had three points on the first four possessions. So the Hawks were in good shape early on. Uh, I wanted to circle this. John Collins went down very, very hard on a dunk attempt. It was blocked by Kessler. It wasn't a dirty play. It was actually a clean block. Collins just got, he tried to grab the rim and then uh, ended up throwing himself off, and the balance kind of went crazy. The ball somehow went in, by the way, which is pretty crazy. I can't, I haven't, I can't remember seeing anything like that before in my life, honestly. But it was three-point play by Collins. He got up slowly. He was able to stay in the game, played a lot of minutes in this game. I think he's probably fine. I, I'd imagine he'll be, he'll be pretty sore after this game. But John had a good start to this one, cooled off considerably from there. But I thought he was a, a, a at least an important part of the first quarter blitz for Atlanta. But uh, so, certainly something to circle there as the Hawks have a back-to-back on Saturday that Collins might be a little bit sore after that very, very hard fall in the first quarter. The Hawks had a nine-man rotation in this game. No surprises. It was pretty much the same group that played on, um, on Wednesday. That's honestly the group that should play. I know I went crazy earlier this week about Jalen Johnson not playing on Monday. I stand by that. He played on Wednesday. He played again tonight, and it was the right decision. Uh, basically, no, no really even curveballs in the rotation here. The Hawks ended up kind of riding Okongwu longer than usual in the second half. That made sense. He was playing well. And then down the stretch, it was the starters for the most part. Um, minutes were pretty balanced in this game. So nine guys played. Those are the nine you would expect, and nothing really to see there. Uh, Trey had a nice closing kick to the first quarter. He actually had a two-for-one that was perfectly executed down the stretch of the first quarter to go up by 10 points. Collins and Trey had 19 combined in the first quarter, whereas Utah only had 22 as a team. Uh, but hideous shooting happened early and often. In fact, the two teams were two of 20 from three in that first quarter combined. But the Hawks were so good from two-point range and attacking the rim, they were able to overcome that shooting weakness on the perimeter. They were up by 15 points early in the second quarter. The Hawks did. The Hawks were... Kong had a, a couple of great plays, I thought, effort-wise. He had a huge follow dunk in the middle of the second quarter. He had a great pass to DeJounte Murray, a kick out for a three. Uh, defensively, they were pretty largely solid. I thought they had a nice shot clock violation defensively where they, where they, rotation, they, they rotated, I should say, multiple times in the second quarter. That was encouraging to see. Utah had a sub-90 offensive rating for the first like quarter and a half of the game. The Hawks were playing hard. Uh, I know Dominic Wilkins was, was pointing this out too. I think he was right about it, even though he was kind of, you know, he was, he was repeating it a lot, but it was, it was, it was a reality. The Hawks were getting the loose ball. They were playing harder with more force than Utah was. And generally speaking on the road, especially on a long West coast trip, that doesn't usually happen. And the Hawks were able to kind of give it a lot of juice in that first half to kind of grease the skids a little bit for their overall performance. I thought um, coming out of the timeout, Trey had a four point play and actually upgraded to a, to a flagrant foul. So the Hawks had a six point possession in the middle of the second quarter, they got up by 20 points. And that kind of broke things open a little bit. They were up by 22, actually, late in the first half. Unfortunately, the what was honestly a borderline perfect half until then ended up not on a great note. The Jazz had uh, actually had a big run at the end of the first half. Box only scored two points in the last four minutes or so, and they missed six straight shots. They missed eight of nine overall. They were 0-5 from three in that stretch. And honestly, if you watch it back, and I would encourage you to do that, the Hawks just missed some shots. Like, I think the process was still fine. They weren't just like suddenly getting super stagnant. 
They just missed a bunch of shots. Utah got a little bit hotter, and the lead was down to 12 at halftime. But honestly, the Hawks played very well before the halftime break, even when you factor in that late swoon in the second quarter. Uh, defensively, the Hawks weren't quite as good, I didn't think, in the third, at least at the outset. Utah had nine points in the first like two minutes. Uh, that, that allowed the lead to go down to nine at one point. Uh, pretty early on in the third quarter. Hunter, though, got going, as I mentioned before. He had 16 points after halftime. He had a couple threes early in the third quarter. Uh, Capella had an awesome sequence where I thought he got a huge rebound and then busted it in a way that only Clint can do end-to-end for a layup and using his straight-line speed pretty effectively. Offensively, they settled a little bit more, I thought, again, in the third quarter. Not quite as diligent in attacking the rim, but not terrible either. Um, Bogey hit two threes that were big shots at the end of the third quarter, I thought, to go from up by eight to back up by 14, something like that, in the uh, – basically down the stretch. I thought the the third quarter was definitely their worst quarter of the first three, but it was not like bad. And they still won the quarter Um, in the fourth though, Utah bailed them out a couple times. I thought they missed some shots. I even tweeted this. I I got, of course I got, I got accused of jinxing it, but I tweeted that the, the jazz, you know, this is just kind of what happens, but the jazz missed, I think probably four or five shots that were good looks that would have made things really interesting in the fourth quarter. Like every time the Hawks would get the lead down to like eight or nine, Utah would have a three in the air and they'd miss it. Or the Hawks would have this play where they, they'd scuffle a little bit and Utah would have an opportunity and, and they'd miss a shot. So it was like one of those things, um, you know, Utah had, they had, they had a shot in the air with like six minutes to go, would have made the six again, et cetera. That, I'm, a lot of instances in that, but I thought Hunter was just a huge key. He was red hot most of the half. Uh, the Hawks were up by 15 though. And it probably should have been not over, but like pretty safe. And then their worst stretch of the entire game, I thought, was probably this stretch in the fourth quarter where they go from up 15 to up five in pretty quick fashion. Akongwu fouled. Again, he was really good in this game. He had one bad play defensively. We had four, it was actually a four point play. Uh, then it was a weird stretch. I'm just flagging it. It wasn't a huge part of the outcome, but within nine seconds in this game, Capella got called for a travel, which he did, but it was called. And then Conley got called for carrying. On the next play, on the next play, how often in the NBA do you see a travel followed by a carry in nine seconds? Uh, I can't say that. I can't re- recall a time that's actually happened in the recent past. Anyway, at least it was a, a neutral result of those two possessions. Anyway, it became a 10-0 run for the Jazz. Um, Clark set two back-to-back threes, and uh, the Hawks were up by again eight points for like 34 minutes in a row until that sequence. And it was down to five. Out of a timeout, though, I think Trey was not his best in the second half of this game, but he had a massive three with like three minutes to go that would that kind of gave the Hawks a little bit more of a breathing, uh, re- re- a little bit more breathing room. If, if he misses that, it's dicey. It wasn't like the best shot; it was a fine shot, but he made it. That was a huge shot. Utah did get within a couple of times, like they were clawing back into this. Then there was a huge mad scramble with the Jazz down six against the Hawks. Capella missed a shot that he was probably fouled on, and then the Jazz missed three shots. It was Kyolinic at the rim, and uh, he wanted a foul. The Hawks wanted a foul on Capella, all that stuff. Um, nothing really happened there because they just traded empty trips. And then, uh, But I thought it was huge because if the Jazz score there, it's four, and things are a little bit dicier, but they missed three times in a row. The Hawks clear it, and uh, Murray hits a mid-range shot after that. Actually, his, his one and only field goal in the entire second half was that pull-up mid-ranger, and that was a big shot. Um, it was still a little bit dicey after that when it was uh, after a click. Capella got called for basket interference, um, but Clarkson misses a three. That was a big, big possession. When the Hawks are up by five points, um, Hawks, Hawks clear. Sorry, up, up six points. Hawks cleared that. Trey gets fouled. Actually, misses one of the two. But you're still up by seven points with 48 seconds to go. You're probably safe. Of course, immediately Utah, Utah hits a three to make it interesting. 
but inexplicably in my mind. Now, this is obviously a benefit to the Hawks. I want to be very clear about that. But with like 36 seconds to go or something like that, so a 12-second differential on the clock, Utah was down four and didn't foul, which I thought was crazy because worst case there for the Hawks, unless you just make a terrible mistake, you should be, even if you don't score, you're up four with 12, 15 seconds to go. Like that's a great, great, great spot to be in. I don't know why Utah didn't, you didn't foul. But uh, rather than taking all the time, the Hawks took an open three. So they got, it, they got it to Hunter after a trap. Hunter calmly makes it. It's the dagger of the game. And instead of just running out the clock, that just put it away. So there was two good options there. Because Utah didn't foul, the Hawks were able to either either kind of dribble it out in a lot of ways or just burying them right then and there. And they chose to bury them right then and there, and it worked out. If he misses that, it kind of feels a little bit skittish because Utah has the ball down four with plenty of time left. But it goes in, and that is the end of that. So, uh, yeah, again, like it wasn't pretty. The Hawks lost the fourth quarter by six points. Second half was actually favored uh, to Utah. In fact, the Hawks lost the last three quarters. If you want to be uh, just kind of cut, cut the game off at the end of the first, you could say that. And the Hawks were up by 22 points, and they got and they got Daisy. So there were some flirtations, I will say, with a kind of trademark Hawks meltdown in the fourth quarter, but they were able to withstand it. Utah missed some shots, even though uh, they kind of made a couple that were big ones in the fourth. And then between Hunter and Trey and Murray, that one big shot by Murray, they escaped with the victory. So anyway, that's kind of how it all transpired in this one. Uh, we'll have more thoughts on the player evaluations that are coming up in a moment on the nine guys who appeared in this game. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's show. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. And this year, the only app that you need at a Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. We're very excited at the Lockdown Podcast Network to have FanDuel as our new sports betting partner for the entire network. And if you're new to the party at FanDuel, that is even better. They have a ton of great features that make sports betting both fun and easy for you. Download FanDuel right now. You can bet on the Super Bowl this year. That's Super Bowl 57 with a new sweat. Sorry, with a no sweat first bet this time around. Get $3,000 back. In bonus bets, if your first bet doesn't win on FanDuel, they have all kinds of bet options at FanDuel. That includes money lines and point spreads and totals. Even a bet who's going to score the first touchdown in the Super Bowl as well. It's going to be an awesome matchup between the Chiefs and the Eagles. You definitely don't want to miss this one between Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts and all the star power on both sides and kind of a quick game in a, lot, in a lot of ways as well. Makes, you, makes things very interesting if you wanted to uh, watch the football action coming up next weekend. And the FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and easy to use. And best of all, you get your winnings paid instantly. At FanDuel, join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, we'll close the show with a breakdown of how all nine guys played for the Hawks in this spot. To the bench first, as usual, Jalen Johnson played the fewest minutes of the manager group. Actually, the, the two young guys played the fewest minutes. That's that's not a huge surprise. AJ actually struggled. We'll start there. Uh, he had his worst game in a while. It wasn't like he was terrible, but he was 2-6 from the floor. No rebounds, no assists, and in 14 minutes, five points. He did hit one big three in the second half, as he is wont to do. But I thought it was the first time in a while that he was just like kind of obviously not playing well, which is okay. It's, it's going to happen sometimes, and uh, they were able to minimize that on a night when everybody else was, was playing reasonably well. Uh, Jalen didn't have a great shooting night. He was 1-4 from the floor and misses only three points out, but had five rebounds, had a steal, had a block. He was active on defense. I like what Jalen can do. He's a, he's a good passer. He had one nice assist. One nice assist. I think he actually got robbed of an assist along the way as well. But I thought that Jalen played well in this game. Not a huge stat line game, but certainly did his job and more. Uh, Bogey hit the two threes that were big shots in the third quarter at the end. That was his biggest contribution in this game. They have six assists, which is good to see. I think they've been playing through Bogey a lot more um, with Trey off the floor. I know Murray's on the court, but they've kind of been using Murray as the scorer and Bogey as the setup guy. 
And that's actually worked quite well the last couple games. So that's good to see. Defensively, obviously going to be an adventure all the time. He rebounded well in this game. I thought Bogey was all right, even though he missed um, six of his nine shot attempts from the field. And then Okongwu was awesome, I thought. 15 points, 11 rebounds. If not for Hunter, I would have been uh, even probably singing the praise even more of Okongwu as like their standout in this game. He was very, very good off the bench. Had the foul trouble, as he sometimes does, at four in 22 minutes. But um, he was 6-9 from the floor. Got the line for three times. He made a nice mid-range jump shot. Uh, I thought he played very well in this game. Good to see Okongwu play like, play like that. And honestly, for a while now, like probably, I don't know, six weeks, something like that. Abakongwu being the guy we kind of thought he might be this year, kind of having a, kind of a breakout season in some respects now after kind of a slow start. So uh, honestly, if they closed with him, I would have been fine with it. And usually, I want I want Clint to go back in the game. I think Clint is their better is the better player, but I thought Kongwu was better than Clint in this game uh, for, for most of the game. So that's that's good to see. And it's a luxury the Hawks have that most teams don't have is having really truly really and truly forty eight minutes of center. That's like good. Kongwu is again arguably the best backup center in the league. He uh, is playing like it right now. He was very good in this game. Uh, to the starters, um, was, I guess we'll just go to Capella now. Capella, nine points, 13 rebounds, had a block. Uh, Rebounding-wise, obviously, he's fantastic. He's maybe the best guy in the league at rebounding. Um, I don't think he was, like, super springy in this game physically, and uh, finishing around the rim was a little bit of a challenge. Um, still before seven from the floor, not, not too bad for nine points. So decent efficiency there. But, you know, Clint was just solid. He wasn't fantastic, nor was he bad. Just okay and solid as he – most of the time is uh, Collins went cold. He had 10 points in the first like eight minutes didn't, and then didn't score again. The rest of the game kind of funny from John. He just misses three pointers. And obviously it's been a problem all year long. It's been talked about ad nauseum. Uh, John was one of seven from three in this game. He had been a little bit better for like the last, I don't know, month or so after the just hideous start, he'd been like in the 32% range for about a month. And that, that's not great still, but it's better than what he's been for the season. And then of course he was one of seven tonight and they, they were all pretty good looks. I saw some questions about like whether he should stop shooting maybe some frustration that just yelled about him stopping shooting. I've still been the mind. He has to shoot. He has to shoot. I mean, it's same thing with Jalen Johnson. Yeah. If he's not making them, it, it doesn't always feel great. And you want to be, you want to be discerning for sure, but the offense needs him to stand out there and be able to make shots because you're playing with Capella or you're playing with Kongu and you cannot have just two non-shooters. So I get it. He's not shooting the ball well this year. I still think he's a better shooter than this. It's like, I'm just uh, not going to believe that this is now a new normal where he's going to be a 25% three-point shooter for, the, for, the, for his career anymore. That's not going to be the case, I don't think. But obviously, he needs to make more shots. It is glaring at times. And uh, he was good everywhere else defensively. He was good in this game, uh, just didn't make threes. And, uh, you know, that's part of the deal. He's got to make more of them. No question about that. Um, Murray struggled after – honestly, I tweeted about this earlier today – I think he's. I think he just had the best like ten game stretch of his career off, offensively. He has like he's just been making every shot for basically three weeks, and he was due for one of these. But he was five five sixteen from the floor, um, f- one of six on threes and four of ten on twos. Did have eight assists and two turnovers. Um, made some good plays as a ball handler, but just didn't have a shot going in this game. He was probably due for that again. So it wasn't like he played badly, but just didn't shoot well in this one. Uh, Trey was just a very solid Trey game. I don't think he was fantastic. I think defensively he's been pretty good. Um, for a while now, but tonight he was he was scrappy. He was getting in the way. He was doing what he what, what he could do defensively. Twenty seven point six assists, four rebounds, two steals, and a block for Trey. Um, eight of eleven on twos and two of eight on threes. So kind of the same thing. Like he's got to make more threes. That's been a case all year long as well. But I thought Trey was you know solid. He wasn't fantastic by his incredibly lofty standard on offense, but I thought he played just fine. And then Hunter, as I talked about earlier, was awesome in this game. Twenty six points on fifteen shots. Obviously, excellent stuff there. Three or five from, from three, seven of ten on twos. He was he was attacking the rim. He had three assists, 
not a small thing for Hunter. He's a, he's not a great passer, but it was uh, made a couple of nice swing passes in this game. Four rebounds, uh, no turnovers is pretty good. Pretty good there as well for DeAndre. So I thought he was a a huge factor. He was guarding Marketing most of the game. Did a good job on him. And uh, yeah, obviously he's not he had not been shooting particularly well since he came back from the injury from the two game absence with the asthma. But uh, he played very well in this game. And the Hawks uh, needed it in a big way. I'm not sure they win this game without Hunter, honestly, with just all the stuff that he did on offense and defense. So uh, a really nice performance from him. And uh, that, that's kind of it for the game itself. Again, this is a very nice win for the Hawks to put a sort of a final point on at the end of this podcast. And uh, kind of hanging around the road now. Like, honestly, for as not great as they've been at home this year, the Hawks are basically 500 on the road. That's kind of all you could ever ask to be. Unless you're an absolutely elite team, 500 on the road is pretty solid. And the Hawks are now 14 and 15 at, on the road, I should say. That's a pretty good number overall. But that number will be tested on Saturday. So, from here, the Hawks were probably already on the plan as I'm, as I'm recording this to Denver to play the Nuggets on Saturday night. I will not beat this into the ground. I've been talking about it for the entire week, basically. And I, I, I actually got a message from somebody on my Patreon today, patreon.com slash btroll, kind of making fun of me for um, saying this too much. But it's just the reality. If you look at the schedule for the season, just the schedule, nothing else, the worst schedule spot for the Hawks all year long is this game on Saturday against Denver. Denver is really good, number one. They're, they're number one in the, in the West right now by multiple games. They are 36-16 and 16 with a 24-4 and four home record for the season. Plus, Denver is elevation. Uh, everyone in the league always says how hard it is to go to Denver in general, especially when you throw in a back-to-back with travel. That's impossible to get your wind and be conditioned and also just have, have your legs. Um, and the Nuggets didn't play tonight, so they'll be on normal rest. Now, I will say, though, this is a notable thing as I'm recording this on Friday evening into Saturday. Um, right now, Nicole Jokic, the two-time running MVP, and Aaron Gordon, who is probably their, you know, one, at least certainly one of their top four players, um, they're listed as questionable. So if those guys don't play, obviously that would be a lot, of, uh, a lot more favorable for the Hawks, particularly for Jokic. Anything I said would be a guess right now as I'm recording this podcast, but Denver does have a back-to-back after this. So maybe they take it easy a little bit on Saturday with a back-to-back looming on Sunday. Who knows? But um, if everybody plays, again, this is the hardest schedule spot of the season for the Hawks. Can they win? Absolutely they can. The Nuggets are really good, but they're not like an absolute juggernaut. And the Hawks, when they are right and when they're playing well, can beat anybody. That's been the case for a long time now. We'll be back for three years. So I'm not saying the Hawks can't win. But you'll see in the betting market, I think, with our friend, our friends at FanDuel, we'll have a number. Of, I'm, looking, I'm looking right now at, at my friends at FanDuel, see if they have a number listed for tomorrow's game. And they do. Um at the, at the moment, even with Jokic and Gordon listed as questionable, the Hawks are seven-point underdogs right now. That might that will that will probably go up, I think, if Jokic and Gordon play. So we'll see. Uh, also, we don't have the Hawks injury report as we speak. So no matter what, they're not like huge, massive underdogs in this game, but it's a big challenge, notably a big challenge. And the Hawks have, uh, again, a sky-high ceiling when they, when they play well. So anything is possible. If they play like they did at times uh, on Wednesday and tonight, have a very good chance of winning the game, but we'll see. Uh, anyway, that's that's the next game on the agenda for the Hawks. And then after that, they play on Tuesday against the Pelicans. One final note here, uh, that was supposed to be a TNT game on Tuesday against the Pelicans. That's no longer a TNT game. Now it's going to be on Valley Sports Southeast if you are local, and then a league pass if you are not local in Atlanta. I don't know why they did that, but they went to uh, Suns Nets instead. So if you are looking forward to seeing the Hawks play on TNT on Tuesday, Sorry about that. But alas, that game's still going to happen on Tuesday. But, but, but between now and then, they have to play uh, Denver on the road on Saturday. And we'll have a full breakdown of that game after it is over on Saturday into Sunday. Please subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
Overcast, Google Play. We're also on YouTube on the video side. And I encourage you to, to download and subscribe everywhere you like to listen to the podcast, as well as leaving five-star five-star reviews. Are always encouraged for sure. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Also follow my Patreon, patreon.com slash BT Roland. I appreciate everybody listening. Hope you had a good week for sure. And then we'll uh, be back in about, I don't know, 23 hours from now talking more about the Hawks and the Nuggets. So stay tuned. We'll see you next time.